Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny's guest is Carly Pollock. And the two of the ladies will be discussing about Carly's latest book, Feed Your Soul, Nutritional Wisdom to Lose Weight Permanently and Live Fulfilled. So tune in and learn why the real work on your path to health and happiness will be done inside you, not on your plate. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan. And we are here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. All the good stuff. It is radio that positively shines, and if you can't catch us live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com, and uh, you can find out more about me, connect with me for coaching through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com, goldenoversoul.com, and um, don't forget that you can still um, access my book for free at unhitchedbook.com. Of course, it's available now for sale, um, and probably the easiest way to get it is through Amazon. But if you don't want to pay for it, you can get a free copy by going to unhitchedbook.com. And for anybody out there that's new to the show, um, the full title of the book is Unhitched, Unlock Your Courage and Clarity to Unstick Your Bad Marriage. Um, And it's really for anyone who is feeling unfulfilled or unhappy in their marriage, um, asking those tough questions, uh, mainly, should I stay or should I go? Um, And I will just give the brief caveat that I normally do. Getting unstuck in your marriage doesn't necessarily mean divorce. Um, So if you are not quite sure yet that that's what you want to do, this will give you some tools to uh, clean up your side of the street in the marriage and get your thinking very clear, uh, get your courage all lined up for whatever needs to happen. And if you do decide that divorce is the route that um, feels most aligned for you, um, it will give you some tips and tools for getting through it gracefully. And I share, of course, my own personal story of a high-conflict marriage to a beautiful post-divorce friendship with my ex-husband and all of the things that we did to get to that place. Um, And I've condensed them down so you don't have to have all the pitfalls that I went through. So unhitchedbook.com, you can check it out there. Um, Benny. Hello. Hi, what's going on with you? Not a whole lot. It's a beautiful day here in the Seattle area, and uh, I want to feed my soul. Don't you? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay, then. Yes, we're going to show you how. With our amazing guest today, her just name is... Just flowed right <laughs> yeah, in there, did. didn't it? Good just segue, like, Betty. Wow, so amazing. It's like you've been doing this for 20 just years. Just a few. Just a few <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so our wonderful guest today is Carly Pollock. She is the author of Feed Your Soul and is the founder of Nutritional Wisdom, a thriving private practice based in Austin, Texas, which you guys know that was where I came from before I landed in Seattle. Yes, hook them horns. (laughs) I was a longhorn for law school. (laughs) So, yeah. A certified clinical nutritionist with a master's degree in holistic nutrition, Carly has been awarded Best Nutritionist in Austin five years running and has helped over 10,000 people achieve their health and happiness goals. You can visit her online by going to carlypollock.com, and that's C-A-R-L-Y-P-O-L-L-A-C-K. So carlypollock.com. Carly, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I I have to tell you, um, uh, in reading your book, um, I was not only when I learned of the book and was um, going to reach out to um, ask you to be on the show, 
I was immediately, uh, my ears perked up because I knew it was a book about nutrition, but I also knew it was about so much more than that. And and for me, um, I've been obsessed for the last several years about getting to root causes, not Band-Aid fixes. And I have to tell you, I loved your approach because it really, um, as you say, this is your success and your health and your happiness, your well-being is about so much more than what's on your plate. Um, And I was just hoping you could tell us a little bit about your story. How did you come to learn that? Through so much trial and error and, you know, emphasis on error, (laughs) I have (laughs) to say, I feel like I've done it the hardest way possible so that I can teach people to not do it hard at all. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think that my story is pretty typical to most people's where uh, I was a super, super anxious kid growing up. And if you couple that with going through puberty and gaining a little bit of weight at the same time that you're finding comfort in food, you create, you know, a full-blown obsession with food, poor body image, and then what follows is, you know, diet after diet after diet and the yo-yo weight gain and loss. And I swear if I gain, if I add up all of the 20 pounds that I've lost and gained that I've probably lost and gained over 400 pounds in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's that same 20 pounds for other people. It's the same five pounds or, or more, but it's that pendulum swing of on and off a diet for me it would happen within the same week. So from Monday through Friday, I would put myself into food prison and I would count my almonds and I would make my smoothies and in bed, I would lay, you know, I lay in bed at night and I would think about all the things I ate and I would count how many workouts, you know, I'd go, okay, it's Wednesday, Monday, I worked out Tuesday, I worked out and I would just have that obsession. And then Friday would hit. And it was like, I had a breakout of food prison Mm -hmm. and, and do so with reckless abandonment. And I just always remember, you know, the entire weekend being horrible, of course, like eating whatever I wanted unconsciously, but Sunday there was always this feeling of scarcity and anxiousness, like, okay, Monday's coming and that's, you know, you're going to turn over a new leaf and this week is going to be the week that you just really make these things stick. So right now is the last opportunity you have to just eat whatever you can get your hands on. And there would always be this very frantic, you know, nighttime routine of how much could I possibly shove in my mouth before, (laughs) before I found myself again on Monday. And, you know, I find that that story is really similar to what a lot of people experience. Yeah. I actually, uh, listeners who are pretty regular to the show know that I've talked about this. Um, my Monday through Friday, that was one of the reasons I really resonated with this book. Um, Um, Yeah, my Monday through Friday is typically pretty um, clean. And come Friday, um, I was in this habit in the first few years of my business. And I still fall into this at times, but, you know, where I'd go to my local co-op. And, of course, it was fairly clean food, but it was still, um, I mean, of course, it was the organic version, but it was still sugar and cookies and highly processed uh, carbs and grains and things like that. And yeah, and and then of course Sunday comes around and it's the last day and then you've got to hit the bricks Monday with your good routine. And yeah, I've (laughs) found myself in that routine for um, several years and yeah, my body really showed the effects of it and I felt it also. Um, So I really appreciated you sharing your journey. And that sounds like that was pretty far in the past for you at this point. Yeah, I would say for the last 10 years, I 
can say that I have a respect, you know, mutually respectful and loving relationship with food. And, and when I say mutually respectful, it's that I'm choosing foods that also respect me. Meaning, you know, if I eat a food and then after I'm bloated or constipated, or it's a trigger food for me. And once I start eating it, I can't stop eating it. I feel like those foods are, you know, they don't respect me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't respect me, I don't respect you. And so <laughs> it was kind of coming up with this guideline and not rules, but more so loving boundaries. And and I really invite everyone listening to ditch the diet rules that you have taken from a girlfriend who the diets work for her or the whole 30 or, oh, we're doing keto now or whatever, and really sit down when you're in clarity. So sometime in the morning or, or when you feel most grounded and to write the list of foods that you feel the body tells you through symptom are not foods that are your best friend. And for most people, this is going to be some version of gluten, dairy, sugar, corn. Uh, sometimes it's nuts for people, processed foods, of course, and also listing your trigger foods. You know, there are some foods, even healthy foods. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, for the first, from puberty to, you know, my mid twenties, I, yeah, I was overeating crappy food, but then it shifted. It was like, I learned a little bit about nutrition and then I would overeat healthy food, which mm -hmm. was still not, you know, it's like eat an entire box of gluten-free crackers and hummus. Right. And then my mind would be like, but it's hummus. Yes. And that, that whole like, you know, it's gluten-free. It's gluten-free. Yeah. Ate the whole box, right. girlfriend. Right. And so, um, you know, even the trigger foods, I have a lot of foods that you would be able to find at whole foods. So we're talking, you know, no trans fat, no high fructose corn syrup that if I had in the house, I'm sorry, I would eat the entire thing. Right. And, and you know, really having those foods and being aware of them. And I'm not saying never eat them because I would never dare say never eat anything. Yep. Uh, but to start to work with your body instead of the chaotic, fighting against it all of the time really starts with this list of like, all right, bod, you know, let's, let's have a conversation. Tell me, you know, what are your trigger foods? What does not make you feel great? And then let's decide how often can I consume these things and in what environment that would still allow me to create balance and allow me to achieve the outcome that I want for my health. Yes. And that's one thing I, I, another reason why I really was attracted to the approach in your book, because um, I know I have a number of mentors and teachers, many of whom are involved in health, well-being, uh, perhaps weight loss, that kind of a thing. Some of them are completely like it must be a rigid diet and it must be this way in this way alone, one size fits all. Then others are like anti-diet, smash the patriarchy. There is no, you know, body positive. And I think there's something to be said for that as well. However, I liked your approach because it seems it falls in the middle. And, and I like how you call not rules and restriction, but loving boundaries. And so, yeah, I would, I would love it if you would speak a little bit more about kind of where you fall and your thoughts on the word diet and diets and that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel really strongly about this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as I'm sure you can tell from the book, you know, um, saying how I'm, I'm, I am not anti-diet and I think for me, it's all about the energy you bring to anything in your life. But if we're just talking about diets, the, a diet is neutral. 
the energy you bring to it based on your beliefs and your thoughts are what's going to make it negative or a positive experience mm -hmm. for you. So let's say, you know, uh, right now, currently I have a 10 month old daughter and I married a ginger man, <laughs> a, a hunka hunka burn in love. And, and I am an Eastern European Jewish princess. So I have dark skin and, and brown hair and he's like freckled and, and ginger. <laughs> and we have a, we had a ginger baby that looks exactly like him, which is fine. Oh. Cause I prayed for that. Oh. I wanted to, I felt like it was my job to keep the ginger race going. <laughs> and so as a ginger, um, I appreciate that Carly. Oh, you're a ginger. <laughs> I am uh, naturally. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, she has really sensitive skin and at about four months of age, I started to notice that she had eczema mm -hmm. long story short. By the time she was seven months, this eczema was covering mostly all of her body. Mm -hmm. And because I was nursing, I had to go on a special diet as if I had eczema. And believe me, this is not a diet that a dermatologist gave me. They wanted to throw a steroid cream at right. me. But I did my own research as a functional practitioner and found that um, eczema sufferers have a hard time processing some natural plant chemicals. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm on this extremely strict diet. But the energy I bring to it and my belief about it is that I am – doing the best I can for my daughter and a week into the diet and her eczema was completely clear. Oh, wow. And so if we just take the diet itself, if I, I don't even want to take the time, but if I told you that, you know, I could only eat four vegetables, I could have no oil, I can't use any spices. Like people would look at this and go, this diet is crazy. It's super restricted, but the energy I'm bringing to it is positive And I feel relief eating this way. I feel empowered eating this way because I am making a difference in her skin from a holistic standpoint. And we've all been there where you go to start a detox or a diet program and you feel relieved. You're like, Oh, I love these loving boundaries around me. Like I'm, I'm happy that I'm on this protocol versus like, Oh man, I really don't feel like doing this. I have all these cravings, but I feel fat. So I'm going to do it because my jeans don't fit. And that energy is what makes the whole difference. And it kind of annoys me a little bit, this whole anti-diet, you know, crusade. The only thing I like about it is I think what's coupled with that is this like, love yourself, accept yourself where you are. And that part I love yeah, right, because right. you have to accept yourself. If you're going to make any change, you have to accept where you are right now. You have to love yourself. I want you to feel beautiful, a hundred pounds overweight. Like that's not what dieting is about. Dieting is not to get skinny. So you feel enough, right. but what is dangerous about this anti-diet message is then what about people who have to be on some special diet, which I have news for you is most of us. It's like whether it's gluten or dairy or low sugar because our blood sugar is not stable or, you know, uh, no caffeine because we're stressed and our adrenals are burnt out. It's like all of us for the most part need some sort of special protocol based on what our body is telling us. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we have this anti-diet message. So now we feel restricted or the dieting feels wrong. Mm -hmm. And that to me is dangerous. Yeah. And, and you mentioned uh, that you, a moment ago you talked about self-love. And I really liked, um, I'm looking for the quote here that I pulled around this, but that basically um, it, that long-term change is never created by force. It can only grow from true self-love. Um, and I just was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, because if we are talking about um, creating some healthy boundaries, uh, how does self-love come into play around all of this? 
You know, I remember being in college and eating total junk all weekend. And then I would wake up on Monday, of course, feeling bloated and horrible. And the, the voice in my head was, you know, saying, oh, well, you are fat and disgusting and you better go to the gym and work this off. And so, okay, that forced me to go to, so out of fear and, and self-loathing, you know, I would go to the gym and then I would get on the treadmill and I would be tired and my legs would be burning and my mind would go, see this, you deserve this. Like, Mm. see this feeling like, you know, this is because you ate that entire bag of, you know, Chex Mix. Like Mm -hmm. you better, you better, you deserve this feeling. And Ultimately, you know, from the outside in, someone could say, oh, well, that worked. It got you on the treadmill. You ran really fast. But three days later, I was, you know, binging again and rebelling because think about think about if you are working and your employer talks to you like that. There's no loyalty. Mm-hmm. You know, you work out of fear. But the second that person turns their back, you know, you're slacking off or you're stealing or whatever, the th- or, you're, or you've got one foot out the door. And it's really the same with your body. When you fight with yourself and you try to force yourself into being healthy, you'll notice that it's never permanent. It is never consistent. It's like you'll only do it if you've got, you know, some imminent like pool party, vacation, (laughs) um, reunion, uh, wedding, and then you're right back to your old ways because you've not really changed your belief. When it's a loving conversation, then the chaos around food gets so, you know, demagnified. It's like if I've eaten, and even to this day, because you said you still fall into those behaviors, I want people to know that we are all on the path. I still mm-hmm. overeat. Mm-hmm. I shoved, you know, food in my mouth total unconsciously before we're even speaking now because I was running out of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's about having that awareness. And this was an, this is an example of a loving conversation. Let's say you've eaten too much or you've just been, your awareness was not there afterwards saying, okay, I forgive myself. You know, I'm an imperfect human on the path and I'm willing and open to learn what this, you know, lesson is hidden in this challenge. Okay. Now let me look at what was I thinking and what was my environment and how was I feeling when I went into this and how could I improve for next time? It's just such a deeper, more successful conversation that you have with yourself. It's loving. It feels better. And the ultimate truth of what I meant by that statement is you'll never heal an issue or learn a lesson if you're in judgment of yourself and the force comes from the judgment. Yeah, exactly. And it makes me think um, there's a lot of research out there to suggest that when you're working with animals, for example, um, if you use force and, uh, you know, beat the animal into submission versus positive reinforcement uh, training, there is a vast difference in how the animal reacts and what it will, you know, be able to do if you're trying to train a certain behavior. And we are, we are animals, really. And I think this just shows, you know, the positive reinforcement through self-love and really getting to that root root issue will be much more successful in the long term than forcing through judgment and self-criticism and self-flagellation, um, that kind of to try to get to your outcome. So anyway. And I want to bring up something um, about what you just said that is actually not in the book, but, you know, as we're talking about self-love, I think that a lot of people will be listening to this and going, you know, easier said than done. You know, how do you get yourself 
to love yourself. Right. And I just want people to know that they have, it's, you've been doing this the whole time, but not realizing it. Mm -hmm. It's a fake it till you make it situation where you say something enough times to yourself where you start to believe it. Mm -hmm. And why I say they've already been doing it is we've been doing it our whole lives, just in a negative way. We've Mm -hmm. been telling ourselves that we're not good enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough, not rich enough. We've been telling ourselves that there's never enough time. We've been, you know, the mind has been trying to convince you of scarcity and not enoughness your whole life enough so that you believe it. What I'm asking you to do is create thoughts about abundance and enoughness and self-love enough times so you believe it. And so a lot of times when clients will say to me, you know, like, oh, but um, how do I do this? I go, you're already doing it. You're just doing it in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just asking you to change the thoughts to positive And you just say it enough times. You wake up and you say, I love and accept myself. You brush your teeth. You say it. You get in the car. You say it. You make a mistake. You say it. And you say something enough times, you will believe it. And you are proof of that based on where you are right now. Yeah, you talk about that in the book, um, and this is something that we've actually addressed on the show quite a bit because I'm a big fan of mind management and thought work, and you have a model in your book that really resonates with how, um, you know, I've learned and and my my own, um, I guess, perception about what goes on in our head, and namely that, you know, we have a thought. Based on that thought, it will create an emotion in the body, the chemical reaction that is an emotion, and then based on that emotion, we'll either take a certain action or maybe not take any action. And then when you add all that up, after a while, you get a result. Um, And so you talk about, you know, passing thoughts, beliefs, and core beliefs. And I'm, I'm, could you speak to that a little bit about what that actually looks like? Um, What are those, what are those three distinctions with passing thoughts, beliefs, and core beliefs? And then why is that so tied to food? Because, you know, the thought, the emotion, the action type thing. I started to notice that not all of our thoughts carry the same weight. So for example, a passing thought, you know, you, you, you sit down on an airplane and as everyone's boarding, the mind starts to put you into this catastrophe thinking where you're picturing, you know, the people are walking down the aisle and you're like, is he the last person I'm going to see before this plane Mm -hmm. crashes into a fiery oblivion, you know, whatever the mind does. And then you go, oh, don't, you say to yourself, don't be ridiculous. Uh, You know, here, pick up your phone and go on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a passing thought. It doesn't really pull you in versus somebody who has a belief and a conviction that planes are not safe. Mm -hmm. And that person is is the person that runs off the plane when they start to feel that. And that's Mm -hmm. not a passing thought for them. That is a, you know, that is a belief, or maybe it comes from even the most core belief, which is, you know, we are not safe. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to separate the levels of thought so that we could bring more awareness to all of the 60,000 plus thoughts that go through our, you know, heads per day so that I almost picture myself outside of myself watching my thoughts on a movie screen, kind of going, that one is totally negative. Okay, let's get rid of that. Oh, this one's really great. Let me hold on to this and give myself three reasons why this is true. And let me say this three times. And, um, and, and I just kind of let the thought stream go through me. But I know as I'm doing this work that I am not my thoughts. And, you know, such an interesting thing, because the formula that our thoughts create our emotional state and that our emotions drive behaviors, something that, a lot of people struggle with when it comes to weight loss is 
so they have a thought, which is, you know, I don't feel well, or I'm overweight or whatever the, the symptom consequences. And then they, they have this emotional state, which is, you know, motivation to change. And then the behavior is they change and the reward to the behavior is that they lose weight. And then a week later, they don't do it anymore. Mm. And they come to me and they say, well, I didn't change a thought. And you know, sometimes it's where somebody goes, oh, I'm skinny, I can eat this. Or I've, I've lost 10 pounds, I can eat this. And the thought changes. But sometimes you have people who go, no, no thought changed. I'm sitting here saying, you know, I felt really great having, you know, doing that 10 day cleanse or whatever. And now I'm back into my old patterns. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna point out that sometimes it is a lack of thought that drives an old thought, emotion, behavior pattern. Hmm. For example, you do a 10 day cleanse where your focus is on the cleanse. So your hmm. thoughts are, I'm doing this. This is, you know, I have to write in my journal and then the cleanse ends and you wake up and instead of doing your AM ritual that would ground you to all the thoughts that would drive good behaviors, there is none. Hmm. So there's no thought. There's no, I need to eat healthy today or I need to go food shopping. You wake up, you pick up your cell phone first thing, you look at your emails and it's the absence of positive thought that actually drives you into what would be your default thought, emotion, behavior. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. And so what do you, what do you recommend for people? We'll just, uh, I'll ask this one last question then we'll take our break, but you know, for dealing with those, those really those core beliefs or the beliefs that are not serving us or not setting us up for better feeling emotions, which lead to more um, constructive action. Um, how do you deal with those pesky core beliefs? I think the first thing to do is to write down on a piece of paper thoughts I think about and then take your subject, money, weight loss, marriage, relationships, my body, whatever it is that you're really trying to uncover, what are your, you know, beliefs, core beliefs mm -hmm. or passing thoughts around this? What are your conscious or unconscious thoughts? And then don't filter yourself and just, you know, jot things down. What I think about weight loss, it's really hard. It never happens for me. I'm inconsistent. Uh, I'll never get there. I have too far to go, whatever it is. And what you're doing is bringing to the surface and maybe it's a mixed bag of tricks, like with the right tools, I can accomplish anything. And then there's some negative ones too, but then you look at the list and whichever ones you don't want to be true, I want you to circle. And then I want you to say the opposite of why the opposite of that, um, that thought. And then I want you to give at least three reasons why the opposite of that thought is true. So let's say somebody writes thoughts. I think about weight loss and they write really hard and they say, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to circle this because I, I know I don't want it to be really hard. All right. So let's do the opposite. It's really easy. Now give me three reasons that, that to be true. Maybe you live in Austin and you have access to all the organic food in the world, right? Maybe financially, you know, you can do a meal delivery. Uh, maybe it's really easy because it actually takes less time and effort when you've decided already what you're going to eat versus the chaos of the back and forth of should I eat this? What should I eat? What should I eat? Mm -hmm. um, perhaps it's really easy because you can reach out to a coach or a trainer and you're just starting to poke holes through an old belief system that is not serving you.
Yeah, exactly. That's that reminds me of Byron Katie and her turnarounds and Oh yeah, yeah. is it true? Yeah. Tell me is it true? And yeah. yeah, I mean part of the, the I got that piece from Byron of at least three reasons mm-hmm. why it's not true. And I love Byron and respect her work and to go through the whole thing, but honestly for me I don't even need to do the, is it true of my story? How do I feel when I think this thought? I can just go right to the opposite and give three reasons for that to be true. And already the strength of this original thought is depleted. Yes, exactly. I have done that. That's a, it, Byron Katie's work is a core component of my coaching tradition. And so um, I use it all the time. But in my own life, I always just go straight to the turnarounds. Like if you said weight loss is really hard, I just jump to weight loss is really easy. Here are the three yep. reasons. And those three reasons for those out there listening, the reason that those are so effective is because you're creating new neural pathways when you were giving the mind evidence for a new story. That is how we change the story as we build new neural pathways to support the more constructive story, and we let the old pathways that were the crappy belief just kind of die away. And if you actually look at neurons in the brain and how they connect, it's so cool because if you don't continue to use that pathway of the crappy thought, it just kind of shrivels and dies Mm -hmm. like a plant going back into the ground when it's dead. Um, So you can do that in your brain just by using these kind of tools. It's pretty cool. Okay, so on that note, um, we will take our break, Benny. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. So um, I have been talking with Carly Pollock. She is the author of a fantastic new book called Feed Your Soul. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk more about the soul part of this. Um, So you've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. We'll be back in just a few. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available today on Amazon.com. If you're talking, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. When young people and elders get together, they can learn a lot from one another. 
Philip Cook is the founder of the International Institute for Child Rights and Development. The group held three events last fall where young activists and indigenous elders shared knowledge about climate solutions and their feelings about the climate crisis. Many young people are very optimistic and feel that we can make a difference. Some, however, are feeling completely overwhelmed. Others are increasingly angry. And I think we need to hear those voices and see how we can respond to them. At one event, a young man shared his despair about pollution and violence in his community. His words resonated with Bill White, an indigenous elder from British Columbia. And I thought, oh my God, this is where we can connect. White says he and others can offer wisdom about overcoming hardships and injustice. The old people that we've worked with have had 150 years of systemic discrimination and they're still here. What can we learn from them about the future and about now and about being strong and about helping one another? Cook says conversations across the generations are an antidote for despair. I think one of the human traits that comes through really powerfully working with elders and youth is a sense of hope. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I am joined today by Carly Pollock, who has a fabulous new book out called Feed Your Soul. Um, and so, Carly, you know, we were talking before the break around, you know, our, our thoughts and our emotions and how those things relate to food. Um, but I wanted to back up a little bit more to your story. Um, so, of course, the title of the book is Feed Your Soul. So it suggests that there's a lot more going on than just nutritional advice in your book. Um, and I'm curious for you, um, how are spirituality and food related? For me, I, I, once I started to look beyond the food and, you know, really get down on my knees and, and in frustration and desperate, you know, the, you know, desperation and just say, what is it that I need to learn universe? Like, why do you keep serving me this lesson over and over again, uh, of this, of weight, of weight gain and weight loss? And what is it I really need to learn? And then I realized through the own, my own path of discovery, what I need to learn were spiritual lessons. It wasn't about, you know, this vegetable to eat or this fruit. It was about self-compassion, patience, forgiveness, awareness, uh, you know, going beyond the mind to uh, forgiving other people. Because, you know, I eat and everybody has their poison. Pick your poison. Mine is food. But anytime I felt any level of discomfort, I would go and, and want to eat. And I realized that we only eat for two reasons. We eat for physical hunger or we eat to shift or up level an emotion. And when it comes to emotions, I feel like that's all spirituality because I mean, I, I know that everybody has a different definition for spirituality, but mine is about finding a deeper meaning to life and, you know, having the highest quality of life, which means that we have to transcend the voice in our heads and how to feel more interconnected to the earth and other people and to learn the lessons that our souls are here to learn, which is what I mentioned before, the patience, the forgiveness, um, unconditional love, awareness, and food was able to teach me all of those things. And then I realized, wow, 
this is why people can't, this is why diets don't work. Not because of the diet, because somebody might be on a very sane diet, but because dieting without spiritual tools and without looking deeper is not only utter chaos, but forces the universe to serve us the lesson again and again, because we're not getting it because we think this is just about food and flat stomachs and workouts. Yes, yes. I'm just going to share a quote here that I really love that supports what you're saying from the book. Um, It's impossible to separate permanent health from a deep spiritual path of self-development and exploration. Food is just a touchstone to show you where the work needs to be done for you to be healthier and happier as a whole. Um, and I love that. I wrote that. Well, that's you, good. Right. Right. That's... <laughs> Do you ever find that in the book you wrote? Like you go yeah. back and read it. You're like, wow, that is some good stuff right there. Uh, yes. I have done that a couple of times. <laughs> I don't remember. I wrote that. I'm like, go Carly. That was eloquently put. I'll forward it to you after the show and you can like feature it Perfect. somewhere. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but I am curious because you, you mentioned, so I have to say for those out there listening, Carly has a wicked sense of humor and it's a very entertaining book. Um, so I really, um, I laughed a lot when I was reading it, but I am curious cause you write about, you know, you grew up in Staten Island and how did you go from, cause I was raised in Texas, so I'm far from my belief system and all the things that I, I guess what I absorbed from being around back then. So coming from Staten Island, like how did you end up on this spiritual path talking about manifestation and vibration and all of that in your book? Because that's the oh language we speak at this I station. I don't even know, but I look at myself every day and I'm like, you made it out alive and I don't know how, truly. Um, you know, when I when I grew up in Staten Island, I was, I was a Staten Island girl. I mean, there are some photos that I would not like to share with you where I may or may not have lip liner on, but no lipstick. Oh, I had that face too. Uh, I may or may not have taken mustache bleach and bleached the first two pieces of the hair around my face. (laughs) That was fun. Uh, That was quite the look. But, you know, when I went to college, I really don't think that this is about your environment. I think that it's always you know, with, it's kind of, I don't know, the, the Yiddish word or the Jewish word is beshert. Like it's, it's kind of like written in the stars Mm. that, you know, if you have enough chaos in your life at that point, you do have a choice to wake up. Mm -hmm. And it was a point for me where I was just really in a chaotic space and it at a low and it was, it was this crossroad of like, okay, I could go and take medication. I could take an antidepressant or I could pick up this book mm-hmm. and then I could read this book. And it, it just started to make sense to me. So, you know, we joke, but seriously, I, I look at myself very often and I'm like, you grew up in Staten Island, girl, you, you made it, <laughs> <laughs> you made it out. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I will say that's another reason why, you know, I've, I I think this is a topic regular listeners will know. I've interviewed quite a few people around um, food, nutrition, emotional eating, um, because it's, of course, it's a topic that I am on the journey myself around. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart um, in this lifetime. Um, but what I will say, I feel like your book took it to a different level, um, and it really I got some nuggets in here that I had never even considered before. And I will say one of the the topics, and this is why I think it's so related to spirituality. One of the topics you talk about is food karma and being to, to talk about vibrational matches between us and food. 
that just, man, that hit home for me. And I think our audience will really like that because we've got a lot of people who are really, you know, we love Abraham. I say we. I see there are a lot of folks in our listening audience who adore Abraham Hicks and the law of attraction and manifestation. And so for you to bring this down to the level of food really, I think, is important. Do you mind speaking to food karma a little bit? Yeah, of course. Let's get into the vortex, yeah, shall yeah. we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find this. <laughs> so um, I think I discovered this or I made up this term food karma because I was, and I, and I, and I don't remember, but I think I joke about this in the book where I was sitting on the couch and I was PMSing and I called a girlfriend and said, you know, let's go, you know, eat crap. Basically. I think it was like fried chicken and waffles. Cause mm-hmm. I'm in Austin. Yeah, yeah. And, and I realized, wow, when I leave yoga, I want a salad, smoothie or green juice. And when I'm feeling really happy, it feels easier for me to make really healthy food choices. And when I'm feeling bad and tired and, you know, low and anxious, I want really crappy food. And, you know, I've always thought about, I always teach people, you know, eat foods that were just energy sources and we need to eat food as an exchange of energy. And the foods that give you the most energy are the foods that rot and spoil. So the quicker a food dies, the more energy it has. So something like an avocado, which, you know, will rot before our very eyes that's going to be one of the healthiest foods versus, uh, you know, even a cereal. And I know that some people kind of um, hate that I, that I'm anti-cereal, but I don't really care what the cereal box is toting on the front or if it's high fiber, gluten-free, whatever, but it's sitting in a plastic bag in a cardboard box on the shelf and has done so for six months and it's still, you know, fresh to eat. Is totally different than you making, you know, eggs, avocado, salsa, sprouts, and spinach. And it, if I left that out for even three hours, I wouldn't want to eat it because bacteria likes to grow on things that are alive. Mm-hmm. And things that are alive emit a vibration, which we know from studying Abraham Hicks and quantum physics. And so this idea of when our vibration is high, there's this karmic-like attraction mm-hmm to foods that have a high vibration. And when our vibration is low, we attract low vibration foods. And it is even more of evidence that if we want to lose weight permanently and feel healthy and vital, that we have to address our emotional state, which means we have to address our beliefs and our thoughts more than we need to do anything else. Yeah, exactly. And I think about in terms in in my own life, my spiritual connection and when I feel the most inspired, high vibration, you know, high flying disc, um, that is when I have been eating really clean. And what I if you think about it, like if you take a beautiful crystal glass, uh, like stemware, you know, a glass cup and you tap it with a utensil and it has that beautiful, crisp, clear ding. But if you fill it with like you know, maple syrup or I don't know, if you fill that glass with like something that's really heavy and dense and then you try to ding it, it's just like thud. I'm like, our bodies are these receivers for all of this beautiful uh, information, energetic information in the universe. And if we don't have the vessel pure and clean, how can we receive all the good stuff? How can we receive that that higher self connection or maintain that higher self connection in a really strong way. Um, yeah. So that really resonated exactly. with me that you yeah. talked about that. Yeah. Um, and I say in the book, you know, 
never do we feel like crap and call a girlfriend and say, I know what we should do. Let's go eat salad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that makes so, so, so much sense. Um, and so let's see. Yeah, I just uh, pulled a couple of quotes around that, but you've already addressed all that. Oh, and the other thing, Carly, that I just loved about this, this is one of the takeaways that I'm going to be, this is going on my little affirmation mantra list. Um, I am not willing to give up what I want most for what I want right now. And I'll just say that again for listeners if this resonates, and I would love it if you would speak to this because this is, yeah, it just hit home for me. I am not willing to give up what I want most for what I want right now. Yeah. It, you know, because what I want right now is fries. <laughs> I want fries for breakfast. I want fries for lunch. I want fries for dinner. <laughs> and what I want most when I'm in clarity is this vision I have for my health. Sometimes what I want right now and what I want most are in alignment. And then it's, it's fine. You go for it. Mm -hmm. But I want people to bring more awareness to not only what they're feeling in, in the moment emotionally or what they're thinking in the moment, but also what is the outcome? What is the long-term pleasure they're looking to create in their lives? Because there are going to be many times when they bring both into play and they conflict. Yeah. And in that case, what we want more, what we want most is so much more important than what we want right now because I guarantee you what you want right now is ephemeral. It's gonna last three minutes, five minutes at most, leaving you feel feeling empty, unfulfilled, and needing more of that thing to get that high or to get that numbing sensation. Mm -hmm. What you want most is going to feel extremely fulfilling. And it's in that moment that we need to use discipline to push through so that we can create that outcome we want. Yes, exactly. And this I this does not obviously apply just to food. I this can apply to gambling, shopping, uh, sex, drugs, any of the things that we use to buffer or numb out. Um yeah, and and you talked a moment um uh, just a moment ago about that discipline. That's different than willpower. And do you mind speaking to that for a moment? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I find that back to that concept of change doesn't true change doesn't happen by fear. It can only happen by love. I feel like the energy behind discipline and willpower are completely different. Mm -hmm. Discipline, the energy behind it is love. This is what discipline feels like to me. It's like I'm sitting at a restaurant and there's foods in front of me that I want to eat right now, mm -hmm. but they're not in alignment with what I want most. So now I know I need to use discipline and discipline feels like, okay, I love this food, but I love myself more. I, I appreciate this food. I know exactly what this food tastes like. It's not like I've never had it before. There's a time and place for this. And I'm deciding that it's not right now in this moment. So, and I'm going to think about, you know, how I feel when I leave the restaurant and I'm going to feel so empowered. So I'm just going to take some deep breaths and, and, move through this moment. And it feels really loving and, you know, strong and respectful. And willpower looks like this. I'm sitting at the same restaurant, the food's in front of me, and here's my mental dialogue. Oh man, I really want that. I probably shouldn't eat it. Should I eat it? Should I not eat it? Man, Ugh, I hate being in this situation, but I'm not going to eat it because I have to be in a bathing suit in two days and I just really don't want to feel gross. Man, this is so hard. And then I don't eat it, 
but I leave and I just feel annoyed and defeated and I feel exhausted. And then three days later, I'm eating twice as much of something else or that same exact thing that I was triggered by as kind of like a knee jerk reaction. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people use these words as synonyms, but I feel like they couldn't be further from the, you know, from each other. Yeah, exactly. I feel that difference in energy. Um, yeah, so we've got, I want to, before we get to the end of the hour. Can I interrupt you? Oh, we yeah. had a caller with a question, if oh, you don't yeah. mind me asking of this. Course, that might be a please. personal situation, but I just want to address it. Debbie from Seattle, thanks very much for calling in. So yeah. she says she's a fairly uh, healthy eater. And uh, is it natural to feel like sugary snacks or to crave them afterwards for like a celebration? Because she sounds uh, like she's a real big, you know, healthy eater. Yeah, so it's yeah. like you have these urges after the fact. I, I, yeah. What do you mean after the fact? Well, thinking. she says afterwards for like a celebration. So, you mean using the sugary foods as a celebration? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like you, cakes and pies. And using stuff. Yeah. yeah, using sugary foods as a celebration. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, this is a really amazing question, actually, because when I said you only, I used to say you only eat for two reasons: you eat for physical hunger, or you eat to shift an emotion, and then. Uh, in my coaching practice, some people would say, well, what if the emotion I feel is positive? What if I just got a new job? What yeah. if I, what if it's a, someone's birthday and, and I don't feel depressed on the couch. I actually feel happy. So, so what is that? Is that still emotional eating? And so I realized and started to shift what I said. I said before that we eat to either shift or up level an emotion. Mm. And the thing is, is that the mind is always wanting more. It's always looking for more because it's never enough. Just like when we buy that t-shirt we love and it's white, the second we get it home, it's like, should I get it in black? Should I get it in purple? It's like, we, we don't just love the thing we bought. We just always want more of it. You have one cookie, you're like, well, two would be great. Should I have two? Yeah, our and brains so, are wired for that. Now, you know, there is this balance where I believe that, you know, I am the antithesis of like food is fuel. We are robots. I cannot stand that. We are a culture that celebrates with food and mourns with food and food, you know, does represent something. And so for me, as long as it's within balance on my birthday, you bet I'm having, you know, ice cream or cake and having that sugary thing and that being okay. Um, uh, or if we're going out to celebrate and we go out to a sushi dinner and, you know, maybe we have dessert, it's okay to celebrate with food in that way and up level an emotion within balance. If you find that every single time you have a celebration or, you know, that it can never just be in the moment celebrating the positive thing itself and that you always need food or the mind always goes to food to up level, that's when I say start to look at that behavior. Yeah, and it also makes me think of, I don't know if this applies here or not, but you know, a lot of, um, I think about growing up, my parents didn't do this, but I noticed it a lot with friends that like the reward was, okay, be good and we'll go get ice cream. Be good yep. and you can have that cookie. So maybe is there, if we kind of get ingrained with that, is that something that needs to be unwound when you hit adulthood? Yeah, and you know, my parents did the same thing and then we, they would punish me by taking it away. Like no dessert tonight because mm -hmm. you did this or you know, we're mean to your sister or whatever. And I was never mean to my sister. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> she was always mean to me. <laughs> no, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, 
the reward, w- the way the mind works is we're only motivated by the anticipation of the reward. The mm-hmm. irony here is that a lot of the times we reward ourselves with food because we've been good with food. And that is a very chaotic and ironic vicious cycle that we get stuck in. Yeah. The, the deeper work is to allow the reward to be the thing itself. Like you did great this week then the reward is you did great this week Hmm. and you can bask in that greatness. And, you know, um, but I don't mind again, everything in balance, one of the rules, and, and this can really be, you know, our ending takeaway is you have to remove scarcity around food. Look at what scarcity around food does to, for example, Thanksgiving is the biggest example of scarcity around food. We take these foods we love, we only make them once a year, so we have to binge on them, even though we could make stuffing and eat pumpkin pie you know, every single month for the year, and we wouldn't have a binge-like mentality on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So the way I create abundance around food, and I've done this for 10 plus years, and I still follow this, is I give myself two free meals per week. They are not cheat meals, I am not cheating anybody, they are are not whole days. I am not overeating. I am eating within, you know, I'm consciously eating it. I am eating a portion size that does not make me feel gross and disgusting after, Mm -hmm. but it allows me to not make any foods off limit or scarce or quote unquote bad. So twice a week I could have pizza, Chinese food, sugar, and I work those things into celebrations. So it's like, if it's somebody's birthday, a party, I go, okay, well on Friday we're doing this. So, you know, uh, that'll be my one free treat or meal. And, and then this, and it allow it's a loving boundary that I've created for myself that allows me to not feel like anything is off limits. If I want a deep fried Twinkie, I can have it if I'm at the Dallas state fair yeah. or whatever, You're right. um, but it's all in relation. And so just to fully answer the question, if you feel like sometimes you celebrate with sweets, ask yourself, does this ultimately have a consequence for you? If you're healthy, you know, the rest of the time and you feel like it's within balance, I am completely happy that that cake or cookie or dessert really up levels your experience. If it has a consequence and you find yourself not being able to pat yourself on the back without an external reward, then start to heal that story. Even with the simple, you know, the simple thought of the reward I experience is the you know, the situation itself that I find myself in right now, I can reward myself just by sitting in this and celebrating myself. Yes. And that's perfect place to bring us to a close. We are right at the end of the hour. I have been joined today by Carly Pollock. Her new book is called Feed Your Soul. It addresses everything from the spiritual foundation um, all the way through to some nutritional uh, or some guidelines that apply to just about everyone. So I highly recommend it. Carly, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, guys. Yay. So thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. See you next week.